Salutations. My name is Justin Law. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 123 of Our Business. Our Business. I think we're talking like that because we're evoking the ancient gods, the old gods, the ones who were here before the light. Fuck, yeah. you know what we should have done? We should have memorized the weird chant. Okay, so we're doing, first off, we're joined by the homie Justin Harlan. What's up, Justin? Hey, how's it going? Fucking amazing. We really should have <laughs> memorized Terry's weird chant. Yes, we're doing we the gate in the gate too. <laughs> like the shitty thing where he's like, the old gods come back to take what's theirs. Like, um, so we're doing well, the gate in the gate too. What's now, up? Well, let's say, uh, you know, friends of the show probably know Justin because of his many podcasts and his website and all that stuff. But Justin, you're here to promote, I can't believe I'm saying this, a film fest you put together and you Fucking specifically dope. you specifically chose The Gate for a reason. Why, why did you choose The Gate for us to discuss, Justin? Well, we're playing The Gate, but you know the reason, uh, one of the reasons I chose The Gate is because your t-shirt company made a badass <laughs> t-shirt yeah. of The Gate. And I was like, yo, what retro screening? I should do The Gate. And yeah, that, that, that's literally how that kind of happened. I appreciate that. It's also quite literally one of the best. Without a doubt. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're going to be saying anything like groundbreaking with this. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, like I, I think I'll, I think I'll keep it light. I will say um, I wrote a piece last Halloween about the gate that really explored it for me on like an emotional level. Like, um, you know, I mentioned it a little bit tonight, but just like themes of like, uh, what it's like when you're a young person and you feel like you're in your own fucking world that adults don't understand and can't even enter into, uh, yes. which, I, which I know isn't the growing up experience of everyone, especially some of our younger listeners. They grew up with the kind of parents who were in their world, whether they wanted them to be or not. But I think <laughs> I, I, but I suspect all three of us grew up at a time when at some point it felt like we occupied a space that our parents could never understand culturally and socially. And by one point you mean right now, <laughs> because I'm a, I truly believe. And I, I, I say a lot of stuff about, I get kind of down on myself, but I truly believe that both of my parents see me as unknowable. And the only person in my immediate family who kind of understands me is my sister. That's including my niece. Because I don't think my niece sees me as an actual person. Well, yeah, but I mean, that, that makes sense, too, because you love the role of ridiculous uncle. Like, you play into that to a certain extent. I do. To a very uh, large extent. Harlan, I want you to give us, we're, we're going to have you talk again about it at the end, but for those people who don't make it to the end because they're bad at podcasts, give us the elevator <laughs> pitch on Skater Die Film Fest, where it's at, what it costs, some of the highlights, all this stuff. All right, so Skater Die is my brainchild, my baby that I've been thinking about for way too many years and finally got to do. 
Uh, it's a film fest that's definitely different than a lot of other film fests because it's not just film. It's film. It's live music. It's a live podcast. It is roller skating. It is vendors. It is a bunch of food trucks. It is coffee. It is you name it. We got it all, man. Oh, and uh, for those who are not straight edge, there's beer. But I will oh, bring that up now. I, don't know I, I know my that's, company. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but don't worry. There's a lot of stuff for non-beer drinkers, too. In fact, there's a vegan cafe coming, Justin. And I you're close that. enough that if you're not there, I'm going to be very upset. But we'll talk when, about that it's, later. It's, when is it again? The what, 7th uh, and what? the 8th? Yes. Of October. Yeah. Why wouldn't I be there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know why you wouldn't I'm be stoked. there. But so it's skaterdiefestival.com. It's got all the info. We're playing four features. Uh, you know, Murder Drome, which is a exploitation horror film from like about 2010, 2011, really fun about a roller derby team and a woman who gets possessed and kills all of her team. Uh, the Gate, which is awesome. Obviously, we're going to talk about uh, Profane Exhibit, which is the long lost extreme horror anthology that no one thought was ever going to come out. And it's, we're going to actually be only the second screening of that. So that's pretty dope. Uh, definitely not for everybody. And a secret screening that I can't tell you about, but is a exciting, delight. exciting, Ooh, forbidden. No, f- and forbidden our good fruit. friend Josh Alvarez is performing at the festival. Yeah, as well as another band called uh, Mulberry Hill and a rapper named Wormtooth who raps as a dark wizard, and he is the coolest dude in the world. So, I mean, that sounds more your steez than mine. But the other things sound cool. <laughs> Uh, no, I promise you, you'll dig it, dude. I, uh, it, right, it's not, it right, might sound weird, right, but you right. will dig it. It is fun. It is fun. Well, as everyone knows, you know, uh, a, a fest like this, it needs a, it needs your support. So, you know, I want you to finish the episode, but please, when it's done, go check it out. Maybe get some tickets, whatever, whatever. It also can only exist with the help of the many people who've pitched in, including friend of the show, Adriana Gober, to help this uh, make this thing happen with Justin's leadership and vision. Hey, jo- Justin Lore, uh, some people help us out that we need to say thank you to. That was a good transition. We do. Right? I'm good at we this. We do. That was, a good, yeah. that was a good transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Um, Who do we need to thank? So first, we have to thank our patrons over at, Patre- our patrons over at patreon.com. Now, I have said at least 123 times, we don't make money off this podcast. But it helps me wake up in the morning, and when I look back upon my life, I almost did a fucking Pet Shop Boys quote there, because it's still in my head. When I look back upon my life, it is with a sense of shame, but at least I can't say losing money on this podcast because of people like you, our patrons. Now, if you want to support this podcast, if you want to support the other podcasts on the Cinepunks Network, if you want to be a member of the Cinepunks Collective, you can head to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks and you can smash that motherfucking donation button. It can be a one-time donation. It can be a reoccurring donation. It can be whatever. I swear upon the old gods and the new, by the drowned god, by the whatever god that the fucking red lady from Game of Thrones worships, whatever. I will soon have up my running commentary on my favorite songs of all time. As a Patreon. I love it. it. As a Patreon exclusive. I will make that happen. So go to patreon.com backslash cinepunks and just you fucking let the Lord of Light guide your hand. I know you're on your Game of Thrones rewatch, but I'm glad you brought this up because just for one second, I want to say it's weird how Game of Thrones 
is not that old, but you referencing specifics from the show feels like you're being retro. Like I, I feel like you couldn't be more washed than saying that, but it's not that old a show. Right. And it's no. already got a sequel out, but like, it, let, let's say you're watching a comedian and they made a game of Thrones joke. You would just turn it off. You'd be like, all right, I guess we're done here. We're, we're making game of Thrones jokes. Really? This is what we're doing. But like, it just happened. Like that just happened. I honestly think that has something to do with the last season left such a sour taste in people's mouths that they kind of like retroactively are like, fuck that show. Conveniently leaving out the fact that the first seven seasons are arguably some of the greatest television of all time. And a lot and of are, people still gave the new show a chance, no matter how much shit people talked when it got announced. A lot of fucking people watch that. Thing. Oh, it's great. The new show I so far, watched, the new, the, the new show is fucking fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's just that last season was so like, oh, wow, that it's like people tend to forget that um, those first seven seasons were fucking monumental and were like in the zone. But I remember three seasons in me being like, yeah, I like the show a lot. I do kind of hope he gets the book done at some point. And multiple people on Twitter telling me the books suck. The show is the best thing that's ever happened. Fuck those books. And I was like, oh. Oh, okay. And, and I was like, man, people are really into this show. We're at the point now where we're disowning the books on which they're based because the show has somehow transcended the books. That's like, that That was intense. That was an intense time. Yeah, it was nuts. All right, let's keep going. I've Sorry yet to watch that. a single episode. Uh, that's oh, so you. This is, this is one of the most Justin Harlan moments I've had in a while. <laughs> I didn't even watch it. Fuck that. You know, like that is. That no, is I never said it. fuck that. I'd like to watch it. I just never have. You should do yourself a favor and watch them because they're worth the hype. I just feel like I'm, once I start, I'm not going to have any life because I have so much to watch. I'm just going to be like, yeah. well, you space yeah, it know. out, though, Justin. You space it out. I, you know or you I mean? don't. That's my personality, dude. Or That's you don't. My personality. Yeah. You just watch them all at once. That's true. It's easy for me to space them out now because I've seen it. You know, when it was happening, right. I was watching it every time it came out. Even when I didn't like it anymore, I was like, yeah, I got to know what's going to happen now. So I just think I'm going I'm to watch it, even though I'm not enjoying it right now. I'm still going to watch it, you know, so. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, we got to thank Essex here. I'll, I'll do the Essex. Wait. You do we, the Essex Coffee Roasters. Wait, did we do the LVAC? No, of we, course not. Oh, we haven't even done LVAC yet. I'll jump in there. Let me do that first. Hey, yes, of course, we've made it clear that Chris Reject sucks and we hate him. But he fuck him, I hate him. He despite sucks so bad. him sucking so bad, his company, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, is just the best screen printing option you have. They're so easy to work with. They do such high quality work and they're so flexible with the needs that you have that how could you not go to them? X L V A C X dot com are really the people you want to work with, whether it's t-shirts, sweatpants, hoodies, hats, embroidery. Whatever what it kind is. of hats? Merch, what for, kind of hats? merch for your film festival. They could also do merch for your film festival. That's, like true. They That's true. That is true. That is true. Uh, I think they should be doing cat in the hat hats. That's what I think. <laughs> Chris gets so mad about that. Dr. Seuss hats. <laughs> yeah, they, they, he hates it. Uh, okay, let's keep. Let's let's. That's it. That's all. Do you want to say something mean about Chris before we move on? Nah, fuck him. He's got a little dick, and I hate him. Okay. Uh, we also want to thank our our person we don't hate. Aaron Dahlbeck uh, over at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, you know, Essex Coffee Roasters is just trying to offer you high quality coffee, high quality tea at a reasonable price. And they want to demystify that for you. So you don't think oh, fancy coffee. That's for uptight, 
hipsters in northeastern cities. I say as if that's not most of the people who listen to our show. Anyway, point is, if you aren't one of those people and you find coffee strange and mysterious, uh, Aaron wants it to be easy for you to get high quality beans roasted to order so they're as fresh as possible, as well as having some sick merch as well. So head on over to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, put in the code. How do you spell the code again, Justin? I I forget. How does it go? I believe it's in all capital letters, so it's like technically shouting C-I-N-E-T-U-N-X. You're going to get 10% off your order. Tea, coffee, merch, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, whether you want to get that Earth Crisis blend or the that weird emo tour blend, or you want to do, I mean, we're going to do a rough cut one soon. And by soon, I think it's not going to be till November, but still we're going to do a rough cut one. It's going to be sick. So head on over there, check it out, get some coffee, some tea, uh, a t-shirt, whatever it is. And you're going to thank us for it. 10% off Cinebooks. Of course, we can't forget our friend Sharky over at mechanicalsharkmedia.com. Laura, what, is, what does Sharky do? What, what can you hit up Sharky for help with? Well, uh, contrary to popular belief, you can watch him mosh to Jody by Saves the Day live. I don't care what he no, says. No, no, stop. <laughs> um, anything. If you need, if you have a podcast that you need edited, if you need like a recording studio, if you need like puppetry work, I think. Fuck it. Yes, he will. Do, no, yeah, he, he has done puppets for. He'll of help you with videos. that. If if you want to do, if you have an idea for like a Brothers Quay tribute. Thing for whatever reason, like whatever kind of fucking lunatic you are, where you want to do that, like you go to Sharky. He's super personal. He's like the friendliest dude in the world. Um, I mean, he's so friendly that when I lied about him moshing to save the day, he didn't kill me. And that's saying something. <laughs> um, yeah, head over to mechanicalsharkmedia.com for all your media needs. And thank you to Sharky for editing this episode and making it sound good. I'm sure there's lots of things that sound bad that he's going to text me about and say, you did this wrong. But uh, but he always makes it sound beautiful, and we appreciate him for it. Now right, that's the it. time in the podcast where I would normally ask Liam, as we were digging up a hole in the background and throwing a dead dog into it. <laughs> oh dear God! I would We've ask done him it too many times. I would far too many times. I would ask him what what have you done involving horror recently? But we have a guest today, so we have to ask our guest, Justin Harlan. What have you done involving horror recently? Oh man. Um, so I've watched a lot of older horror, but, uh, but I can speak to a couple newer things. I was at, uh, Puff, uh, the Philadelphia unnamed film festival this past weekend. And I saw a movie called Caucasoid. Um, okay. All right. So I thought this movie had something to do with Cox, right? Caucasoid. Yeah. Um, but Caucasoid is actually a derogatory term for Caucasian for white person. I didn't know this until this, this, movie. this, this played, this played, um, I think the Chattanooga, was it Popcorn Frights or Chattanooga Film yeah, Fest? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, it definitely played, it, it premiered at one of those, I believe. Actually. Yeah. Weird, weird movie. Uh, so it's basically like this dude who's a self-loathing white man who hates all white men and blames white men for everything, um, which is totally fair in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah, you um, could be describing me. Right. right. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'd like to say I'm not describing you because as much as I like to uh, maybe rip on people associated with Liam and his website and podcasts, um, I actually like you, Lore. And oh, uh, you. this man is not, not anything like you. He was a genuine, genuinely unpleasant person. And it was a genuinely unpleasant film, but a good film. 
If you like unpleasant films, um, this is definitely up your alley. Uh, but I have to say the final scene, and I'm not going to ruin anything, uh, recontextualizes everything and actually makes things kind of fun and funny. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, that's probably the only like super new thing I've watched. Um, I have been watching the 101 uh, uh, scariest horror moments on uh, scariest movie moments on on Shutter, but I've actually I'm a couple episodes ahead since I'm a I get screeners and that's yeah. pretty much a delight as well. I know, same right? Same here. Um, same here. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I've watched a couple no, of those with my grand. That's a delight. I actually watched the first one with my grandfather, and when they did like the Mulholland Drive, I was like, "Holy fuck, Pappy! This is so scary! This is..." And he was like, "What? What? What was scary about that? What is this movie about?" And I was like, <laughs> "Fuck you! We're turning this off." <laughs> that's pretty fantastic. Uh, um, yeah, I guess that's that's uh, those are probably the newer things that I, I've gotten into. Uh, but I. I just rewatched Suspiria last night, and uh, I've never been a big Suspiria guy. I actually am a big Argento guy, but it's not one of my favorites. And I feel like each time I watch it, even though it's several years apart each time, I I appreciate it a little bit more. So uh, I feel like it was my 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 favorite watch of Suspiria thus far. So. That's good. I, I was worried you were going to say something just to fuck with me, and we were going to like fight over the <laughs> internet or something. No, I mean, I, I I I actually do think that movie isn't easy. Like, I, I don't think that's uh, I, when people are like, that's the only Argento they like. I'm a little confused because I really do think it's his least approachable movie. Right. Like there are mm -hmm. sections of it where all we're getting is shots of interior design. And yet it's still right. haunting. I mean, it's gorgeous interior design. I've always sure, admitted that. Sure. <laughs> I will say I recently watched uh, I, it had been a long time since I watched it, but I, I rewatched uh, Tenebrae. and. That's really moving up as maybe my favorite Argento, which is saying a crazy thing, but it's just, it's so good. I really, really love it. Let me ask you a question, Liam, since you know me so well. What do you okay. think my favorite Argento movies are? Oh, that's a good question, actually. Ken Tenebrae is not one of them, just so you know. Not at all. Oh, I, would, I would assume it wasn't. Uh, let me think for a second. Favorite Argento for Harlan. I don't know, because I don't, I, I, I don't picture you being into the animal trilogy uh, per se, because I don't know that you're super into Gialli. Like, I don't, I don't see you. I don't know. Maybe you are. And I don't know. Uh, but I would guess. I like maybe, a lot of Martino and Bianchi, but, uh, okay. but, but phenomena, um, maybe yeah. is that one of your favorites? That Phenomena, deep red and deep opera red so are my top though. three. You know, we, we covered opera, choice on opera really, really early on and I do love it. But man, Tenebrae is just so fucking good. I, I don't know. It's I, I used to write it off and now it's sort of raised up in, in my estimation. I mean, the thing about Argento is I think for a lot of people, uh, they've only seen Suspiria. So it either works for them or, or it doesn't. And I just think people should give more of his other movies a chance. I agree with that. I really don't think I'm off the Argento bus until... What's the third in the in the in the witch trilogy? The Mother of Tears or whatever. Yeah, that's not my jam. That's that's not for me. But I think up until that well, point, I thought you were a big movie. Argento Dracula guy. Uh no, thank you. No, thank <laughs> you. All right, uh, Justin, is it my turn? Yeah. What have you done? Basically nothing. Uh, I apologize to everyone. I did. 
I did decorate my house for Halloween, so I guess that's cool. <laughs> um, and you know what? I, I I said nothing. I do like to bring up comic books on here, and I have been jumping into some of the newer uh, Magnolia titles that are sort of expanded uh, Hellboy universe. So those are all kind of horror-y. A lot of them tie into uh, really spooky folklore stuff and things like that. So there is still some horror going on. And I was for a while reading the uh, Jonathan Darnielle, the latest uh, uh, novel. He did the Hell House novel, which is like kind of horror, kind of more of like a thriller. Uh, but <laughs> it was a library book and I had to return it. <laughs> uh, but as far as film, I just haven't gotten a chance to catch anything. I want to see Pearl real bad. And I haven't uh, I haven't been able to go see it. And unlike usually at this time of year because I wanted to get a bunch of other things going, I didn't sign up for any film fest to cover any film fest, which I am very much regretting. The level of FOMO I have when I see people's posts from TIFF or Fantastic Fest or people covering other fests remotely, I just, I die a little bit inside. But it's fine. I'll be fine. It's fine. It'll be okay. I hope. Anything else, Liam? That's it for me. Sorry, everybody. Um, the only hard things I've been doing kind of tying in with what Harlan was saying. Um, I caught a screening of Suspiria up at the Moaning Drive-In for their Argento Fest. That was cool. Um, have either of you been watching Dahmer on Netflix? I have not. I'm curious to start it, but I haven't had a chance to yet. Um, I'm three episodes in. I, uh, I dig it. Yeah, I like it, but it makes me like very, 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 very upset. I'm sure. Like it, sure. it, 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 it like really. Um, I, I, I posted this on 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 the hard business Twitter. Uh, there's a scene in the first because the first episode is like, oh my god, it's just fucking haunting. It's like his last yeah. victim that got away that led the cops back to him. You know, not the victim that got away and then the cops gave him back to him, which I shouldn't laugh about, but happened because fuck the police. Um, but the actor who plays, I think the man's name was like Tracy Edwards. The actor who plays him does such a good job of doing this. Like he's like kind of like sexy and like, oh, we're going to back to this guy's apartment. And then like you can see in his face when he realizes that like, Something is very wrong here. And it's fucking heartbreaking. Like the vulnerability in this guy's voice, the fear in this guy's voice. It's just, it's, I don't, it just, it, like, I cannot, I haven't been able to get out, of, get it out of my head for uh, like a week now. Um, and for the hard nerds out there, uh, in case if people didn't know, uh, very famously, Dahmer was a fan of The Exorcist 3. So now I have something in common with Jeffrey Dahmer, which oh, also his favorite Star Wars movie. You guys want to take a guess? What was his favorite Star Wars movie? The Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi. Another thing I have in common with him. Fuck. Mm. There's two of us. Well, one of us because he's fucking dead now. But um, no, it's just so upsetting. And this show is doing such a good job of showing like like Richard Jenkins is playing his father and like. His father is like Richard Jenkins is doing such an incredible job of playing a man who is haunted 
by his inability to spot, like not well, not spot to kind of deal with this like increasingly unknowable and some would say inhuman person in his life where it's like he knew there was something wrong and i do believe that like he suspected like oh it might be like there might be some serious shit here but the the he just he plays a man who's haunted by his own choices and his own inability to stop what had happened and i just think that like there's a real fucking tragedy to there that doesn't get brought up often enough when it, when people talk about Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's this perfect blend of like the, the, the human toll that, 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 that happened. It does an amazing job of showing how badly the Milwaukee PD fucked up. Um, and how many people were like, uh, we hear him cutting up bones in there. It smells all the time. <laughs> Men come in his room and don't come out. You need to do something. And Milwaukee PD was like, well, what do you want us to do? We went and talked to him and he seemed okay. Like, um, it's just like, it's a fucking nightmare. And it's, it's, it's doing it. Like I said, I think I, I forget who I spoke with on, on Instagram about this, but it's like, it's very upsetting, but that story in order to be told properly and, um, uh, in a way that, that, that does the story justice, it has to be upsetting. It can't be romantic. It can't be glamorizing. It can't be like, you know, oh, you so yeah, that's true crime. Why true crime now? Like, it has to make your fucking skin crawl, and it has to make you really think about the human condition, and that's what this show does. It is just, like, so fucking upsetting, and I don't know. Like, I'm kind of here for it because I've always sort of been fascinated by him because he was, like, the first serial killer that, like, I remember seeing it on TV. And then you hear, like, there's so many facets to it that are like, oh, my God. And this story, th this show is just, like, all the performances are, like, top-notch. Like, Evan Peters is great. Richard Jenkins is great. Um, the woman who plays his grandmother, she's great. It's just, um, it's a good time with an asterisk and that it's not a good time. So, like, I recommend it if you're into, like, if you want to feel sick to your stomach and you want to be like, why are people question mark? Watch the show. I'm into it. I want to check it out. I find that story like the narrative uh, around him um, haunting and very upsetting. Uh, but I still think I'm going to, I'm going to give it a chance, but I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are, Enduring it with appreciation, even if you're not enjoying it. Yeah. And plus, you like The Exorcist 3. I do like The Exorcist 3. It's true. So now you have something in common Jeff well. with Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. So the three of us were all culpable. <laughs> I'm more of an Empire Strikes Back guy. But yeah, still. fuck Yeah, you. I'm Shut definitely up. more of an Empire guy, too. Oh, so fuck the both I, of you. I wasn't going to go the there. Both you. <laughs> fuck the both of you. No, I get it. If it's just, I'm just saying, if we're going to make a correlation, it's just weird. That like you know you like Ewoks and Jeffrey Dahmer likes Ewoks and then Jeffrey Dahmer likes to murder people. It just makes me wonder about you. That's all. Look, when Luke Skywalker throws his lightsaber aside <laughs> and says, "You have failed your empire. I'm a Jedi like my father before me." That fucking hits a chord within in me. My father may not have loved me enough as a child. I don't know. 
Anyway, let's talk about the fucking gate and the gate two, directed okay. by Tibor Takake, whatever his name was. <laughs> All right, we're oh, going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1987's modern-day classic, and by modern-day, I mean 35-year-old classic, um, The Gate, directed by Tibor Takake and starring a young Deacon Frost, Stephen Dorff, in his film debut. We'll be right back. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. And now, someone has opened the gate. There's this weird tearing sound there in the decomposed corpse of her dead father. Oh no. He's tearing out air by the hands. I'm calling the police. You got demons. And we are back to talk about the 1987 supernatural horror film, The Gate, directed by Tibor Tukax. Look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, People might know him as the director of I, Madman. Sure. Or uh, two episodes of The Red Shoe Diaries. Oh, starring a young David Duchovny. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Starring Stephen Dorff, Dorf, Louis Tripp, and Krista Denton. Um, I don't feel we have to explain what this movie's about. I'm fairly certain everyone has seen this movie. If you haven't, uh, you need to watch this movie because this movie, everyone I know who is into horror films, this film was a game changer for them. And I think I'm, I think I, I'm comfortable in speaking on behalf of all three of us. I think that's fair. Uh, well, let's start. Yeah, I think so. Let's start. Harlan, when did you first see this movie? I probably somewhere in the early 90s when I was mm. about nine, 10 years old, uh, mm. or 81. So I didn't see it like when it was brand spanking new, but I definitely saw it on like HBO, which I didn't have. My cousin did. So that's how I saw a lot of films when I was at my 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 aunt and uncle's house. Um, and um, yeah, I watched it. Um, quite a few times when I was young, not on the level of how many times I watched, say, Monster Squad, but I did watch it uh, a good amount of times. And then I, uh, I showed my kids it at probably too young an age because my, my younger one was horrified of this film for a little while. So, I, uh, I definitely saw it. I, Laura, tell me if this is true for you, too. I definitely saw it many times on basic cable before I finally rented it. So discovering that in its uncut version, it's 
maybe twice as horrifying as the cable version was yes. like a big revelation for me. Not that like edited, it wasn't still scary to some extent, but a lot of what they removed for cable was like, again, it wasn't like gore, but it was just like they, they chopped it up a teeny bit. So then watching it as like a whole thing without commercials and with some of the spookier elements back in, I remember thinking this movie was both fun and upsetting at the same time. Dude, it still it, it still hits. I, I, I've seen this movie more it, like, OK, so the first time I saw this movie and I'm going to actually tell my mom to make my dad listen to this to see if he remembers this. Um, I remember watching this movie. My my parents were friends with um, this guy my dad worked with and him and his wife. They had a couple kids. We would go on like vacation together. And I remember my dad and I were at their house and this movie was on. <laughs> And I have this very specific memory of the scene towards the end when Stephen Dorff like looks at his hand and there's an eyeball in there. And I had this, I was gripped with this like sudden certainty that like there was an eyeball in my hand. And I like tried to be slick about it to like look at my hand. And my dad saw me do that <laughs> and started fucking like riffing on me. And it, it there there are scenes in this movie that they are shown to isolate these kids from the outside world that as an adult still get to me, like, especially the scene when like, um, it's like right after shit really hits the fan. I think it's after like Terry and his sister get taken and Steven Dorf is like, um, he looks outside and there's just that like weird tornado traveling up towards the sky. And even as an adult, that fills me with such dread because it's like, these guys, these kids are so fucked. Like, and it, it literally like they unleash something that's so cosmically devastating in the most innocent way possible. They were just like goofing off and fucking around. And all of a sudden, like they have unleashed like Cthulhu onto the world. And I, I, I don't know, like as, as a kid, that was like anything I could do. All right. Like I, like it, it doesn't take these insanely complicated rituals to open these gates of hell like i could literally be fucking around with my friends and accidentally do that and um yeah there's just parts in this movie that still really hit like that it's it's just so it's still soup like the scene when the the guy comes to the wall and he's like dragging terry in there and terry's like screaming like i'm you're not real like like I, they're that's just like heartbreaking and like the the, the terror in his voice is so like I don't know. It just hits like it. It just, it's intense. I don't know. It, it's this is just such an effective movie that I think people often say it's just like a classic like eighties gateway film. No pun intended. But I also think it stands on its own merit, and it's not one of those movies that was scary just because we were kids. Like I, I think it still has parts that as adults are. I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, I um. I think so too. I think I think I'm I'm constantly surprised by how scary it still can be, how intense it still can be. Um one of the things that like I said I wrote about in that piece was sort of like you mentioned the isolation, the feeling of being a kid and you're in your own world and at multiple points um the kid you, you know uh Steven Dorf <laughs> wants to reach out to the parents for help. And to the other kids, it's like, no, like, why would you do that? Like, don't do that. Right. 
and I really focused on that feeling of of fear, like I'm in my own space, and if the parents were to come in, that would disrupt everything. And so we we have to negotiate this in our in our own sort of world. But the other thing about it that I think the film really gets at is all of the anxieties you feel as a kid, like just for him, for the two younger boys being at that party and the pressure on his sister of like having to be cool becomes part of the anxiety and horror of this movie in a really interesting way. Oh, yeah. And then when the spooky stuff starts to happen, it's not utterly detached from their own anxieties and fears. Everything is connected to who they are. I mean, just the image of him being strangled by his own dad, you know, uh, is like, fuck, it's really tapping into something I think very primal about kids and about the ways that, that kids feel, you know? The thing that the, the one part of this movie that like really speaks to me when you're talking about like the sisters, like pressure to be cool is like, they make clear several times that like the sister used to be cool. Like she used to be one of them. And then like, you know, she suddenly, you know, became like a high school kid and had to like fit in with the cool crowd and they felt left behind. And I think that speaks to like a lot of like, you know, like younger children or like middle kids who have like the cool older sibling who suddenly is just like, no, fuck you. Like, I'm not like one of you anymore. And there's like there's like a weird sadness there, too. Mm-hmm. Harlan, talk to me about what what still works for you on this viewing uh, and 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 uh, in what ways does it did you find yourself like maybe thinking differently about the film on, on rewatching it for the for the uh, episode? So, uh, I mean, honestly, the whole thing still really works for me. Uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I think, um, I do think there's some nostalgia to it for sure. Um, where maybe, like, I wonder whether or not I would love this movie if I saw it for the first time when I was in my twenties or something. Um, I, which is a it's something I thought about because I. I talked about this on one other podcast because I'm talking about my film festival and I was with somebody who's like 12 years younger than me and they watched it for the first time to talk to me about it and wildly different feelings, you know? Um, and it made me wonder, you know, so would I feel the same way if I watched it for the first time in my twenties, you know? Um, and, um, or, or 30 or whatever the heck, you know, and, and, and I, I don't know that I feel the same way, but like, there's still so much about it that what works. I mean, being that I have a teenage son, like, and, uh, and a young teen, a 13 year old son, you know, and one that's right around the age of Steven Dorff's character in my mind. Cause in my mind, he's like 11 or 12 and that's how old my other son is. You know, I can kind of like watch it through their eyes in my my mind and, and sure. the anxieties and stuff that they're feeling, um, you know, and both of my kids love horror movies now and stuff, too. So, like, it's cool. I get to watch this with them and actually experience it with them. I think I mentioned earlier briefly that uh, first time I showed my older son who called this his favorite movie for a while and has your rough cut shirt. Um, awesome. To this. That rules. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah. My younger one watched it with us. and. At the time, he might have only been four or five. Oh, no. Uh, and when the father's head implodes and becomes, you know, maggots and whatever, and the mom starts cracking up about it, um, my son sprinted out of the room crying. 
Um, and so I stopped the movie and, you know, he was fine and whatever. And then like an hour later, my older son was like, can we watch the rest of it now? Um, (laughs) without my younger son in the room, you know? So, you know, that was a while ago, obviously years, but like they've loved it, you know, now that my younger one loves it too, they've loved it for a while, but like I watched this time with them as well. And like watching them, I feel like at the ages and it almost like I could almost see in their eyes them vibing with the characters. And I like to me, like that's, I think, what attached me to the movie in the first place. But like now as an adult, like there's still so many other anxieties and things that work for me in the movie. I mean, I sit there thinking like, oh, you know, what the hell can go wrong when I leave my kids home for a few hours? Right. You know, mm-hmm. and like, oh, is there going to be a hole in the my yard that leads to hell maybe i don't know well and the whole um, attitude too that yeah. like uh, at least then and, and and i do wonder if it's different for kids now uh well i mean mm-hmm. let me start off by saying whoever that other podcaster was uh they can come to uh 153 norfolk Ave, uh, clarendon hills <laughs> illinois and we, and we can fight out front uh right in front of my halloween <laughs> decorations but uh, i'll let them know <laughs> no but i mean but but taking it seriously and not just being mad at some younger person because that's that's very old man of me um i do think like <laughs> there is a sense in which i wonder the if the world that this movie represents doesn't quite exist this way anymore you know like where sure. these kids they have nothing but free time i mean think about his sister she's uh 15 she apparently could get in the car and go to the beach or go to the mall or do whatever, watch her brother. Formerly, she could supervise him blowing things up, and that was cool. Um, I mean, until he blew up the roof, he could just blow things up on his own free time. This level of freedom, which then creates the very thing that the movie is tapping into, which is both kids' anxieties, but also parents' anxieties, right? Any parent watching this movie when it came out was like, Oh, fuck. You know, like that. this idea that you don't know what your kids are doing. You've no clue what they're doing and they could be doing anything. And um, I, I wonder to what extent that might also be hard for people to connect with. And, you know, obviously it's funny, like, and they open a gate to hell. But there is very much a feeling of um, mm. it's obvious to kids that you wouldn't involve your parents. Why would you involve your parents? I mean, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but. I, I do invite you to think of all the various situations that now as an adult, you look at that situation and think, if I had only told my parent, whichever one you prefer, they might have actually been able to help. But at the time, you would have died before you would have told an authority figure of any kind, let alone your parents. I can think of many, actually, in my own life yeah. where it, anathema, I would never tell my mom. But now as an adult, I go, you fucking idiot. If you just it's said fu- something... It's it, it it's funny you say that. Um, Sean from the horror show years ago, they sure. did an episode on this, and he had said like, um, the thing that scared him the most was the perversion of the parents, right? And yes. how the you know it, it the whole idea of the dad being like you've been bad, and he was like that fucked with me so bad. But he was like, as an adult, I see these kids do this shit, and I'm like. If my kid did that, I'd be like, look, just fucking tell me. I'll be mad, but we're gonna, we'll take care of it. Like, we could stop this before it starts. And he's, you know, the whole idea of, like, these kids are so loath. And there's a rich history of that in horror films. Either it's afraid of, you know, kids afraid of getting in trouble. And kids putting, like, it's like, well, if we don't get the adults involved, we unleash 
the fucking elder gods upon the world. But if we do get our adults involved, we're grounded for the summer. And it's like that that goes back. I mean, that's the the premise of it, you know, is these kids can't get their parents. Well, I mean, in that case, the kids, the parents can't see it. But it's like there's that weird thing of like. Whatever happens, we can't tell our parents, you know, the Lost Boys, Monster Squad, all these movies where it's like the parents and half the times they're fucking right, you know, where it's like we are have to be the ones to take care of this. Like we have to be the ones to stop this. And part of me wants to say it's like a weird sense of responsibility, but also I kind of understand that I think that just comes in that that that's just part of like the childhood of anxiety of like um adults are actually the gods of the world and like right anything they can do is worse than us than fucking Azagoth and Nyarthorothep. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, totally. And and um so I do wonder to what extent and and if you are a younger listener to the podcast, uh let us know, hit us up on the socials. I wonder if there are people who watch this movie who are had a different experience growing up if they see the setup of this movie as convenient narrative decision, right? That like, I can imagine a world where someone watches the movie and goes, well, they're just leaving out the parents because it works for the movie. But like, that's not real. Like, that's not how it is. Whereas as a kid, and even now as an adult, watching that movie and thinking about what things were like, not just in the eighties, because I was obviously younger than these kids in the eighties, but uh, even through the nineties, right? Like I'm watching what's happening with these kids and, this feels real. This feels like what it's like. And even more so, the deep shame of when you did have to involve a parent, where it finally got to the point where you're like, well, you know, so-and-so, he, he got so bad, he told his mom and dad. You might as well say, I, I mean, you would be less surprised if you were like, and then he hit Tom with a baseball bat. It'd be like, well, at least he didn't yeah. tell his parents. You know, like, yeah, that's harsh. <laughs> that's rough. But, you know, he didn't tell his parents. So, like, you know, that... I remember multiple situations where I got I got stolen from, I got uh, beat up, or uh, I got in situations where it was like we didn't know what we were going to do about something. And you know, I I don't want to act like. And if I had just told my mom, she would have fixed everything. Uh, you know, everyone's childhood is different. Blah 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 blah. But you know, would some authority figure maybe have been helpful, like some adult? Yeah, there's a few things that happened that I probably could have could have told somebody in charge but we didn't we didn't fucking do it and i think that's like the thing with the movie like every time steven dorf's character is like we should just call mom and dad i'm sure there are audience members who are going yeah man why the fuck haven't you called mom and dad yet but there's just as many people who are like you're not gonna do that you're not gonna call mom and dad that's not what happens you don't don't call mom and dad you know I think I mean, it's I an era thing, though, too, for us. Like, I, I think I think there's a difference with kids that are being raised today in, in, yes. in some of this. For sure. I, d I definitely agree with that because like even the idea of like, you know, we probably all experienced some variation of while it was light out, we were out and about and we had to just be home by dinner. You know, that was a that was a very 80s, 90s mentality that I grew up with. I went to my, like all my friends lived in the same neighborhood, like half a half a mile up the road. I rode my bike to their neighborhood and I hung out there and then I rode my bike back, you know, like that was normal. And that's not quite the normal now, you know, and and so a lot of that, like things were very insular. We dealt with them all then. My kids have some of that, you know, like, I, you know, now that I live in town because I moved from kind of the sticks into the middle of town of the town I'm in and and like you can you can kind of do that 
but like it's still not like it was you know in 1992 when i was doing that all the time or whatever you know yeah i mean by the time i was uh al's age alex alexis is that her real name the sister alexandria alexandria thank you by the time i was alexandria's age i didn't even have to be home at dark really i mean you know my mom would want to know where i was she would prefer that but there were plenty of times where i was just like yeah i'm gonna be out and just didn't come home you know uh, i mean i eventually like for bed but i i, I was definitely at a point by by you know 15 16 and especially 17 where i was kind of doing my own thing and you know that would change when I'd fuck up in school, get grounded. But, you know, except for the extreme groundings I got from, from my mom, I had a lot of freedom in a lot of ways. Now, granted, there were limits to that. And whenever I wanted to do something that was kind of over the top that then needed money, then all of a sudden it was like I had no freedom. <laughs> you know, it's like I could hang out with my friends wandering around town. But if I wanted money to go to like an amusement park, it's like, well, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but like, yeah, there was a lot of freedom in my life. And and so I don't know. I don't want to harp on that too much. But uh, uh, I do think it's like an interesting aspect of the movie. Uh, Laura, were you going to say something? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the hesitancy, the hesitation to get the parents involved is also um, it's also Al being like, no, I want to be seen as an adult. Sure. I don't think it I, like. Because they make it clear that she is not like a party person. She's not like, like she has the party, but they kind of make it like she's not a hundred percent like into that. And I think it's also, I think her hesitation to get the parents involved is more about like, I want to be seen as a responsible person. I don't want to let my parents down. And let's also remember that she doesn't entirely believe these kids until shit really starts to hit the fan. Like sure, her yeah. brother is floating in front of her and she's still like, yeah, but maybe. And it's only when like, um, I think it's when the little minions appear when she's like, Oh yeah. Fuck. Yeah. 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 So it's like, I think her desire to not get the parents involved is rooted more in a sense of like, no, I have to prove to them that I can do this and that like I'm mature and responsible. And it's not out of sense of like, I'm afraid of them. Oh, no, no, no. But but I also think that um, the idea that they wouldn't that you would go through any sort of situation like this and not get them involved is foreign to kids today. And I think probably Justin Lore, you see this less because you aren't a parent. <laughs> but like kids this today, they don't I mean, until a certain age, and I'm sure there are teenagers who are wilding out right now, but like. You know, the, the idea that, like, you're less involved and you have all this free time, I think it's really hard to, to be in that space because a lot of kids don't have that much free time right now, you know? And, of course, that depends on where you're at in the world and, like, your socioeconomic stuff. Like, I'm sure that, you know, if you live in different places, there's different circumstances. But it is – I do wonder to what extent this movie feels – much further away to some folks than it does to us where I'm, I'm not these kids, but I definitely knew kids who are exactly like these kids. Look, yeah. you can say that I'm not a parent, but last night I made a joke to my niece about taking ecstasy during new order. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I said, tell your mom that I offered you ecstasy and you said no. And she should give you $20 for saying no to drugs. That's a very I'm good. A, very good. I'm a good, I'm a good, I'm a good authority figure. Um, yeah. So, Essentially, this movie is, uh, I think it holds 
a high spot in the hearts of a lot of horror fans. And I, I don't think it's just because they saw it when they were kids. Although I do know a lot of people who were like a little bit older than me. Um, I would say like, um, like people in like their mid forties who don't get this movie the same way people quote unquote our age do. Um, but I don't know, like th this, this film is just like, I think it's like a landmark film in the like horror experience of every serious horror fan. It's like, it's, it's a movie that anytime anyone says to me like, Hey, like, you know, I have like a 11, 12, 13 year old who wants to get in the horror films. Like, what should you recommend? I almost always recommend like this in the monster squad, especially because yeah. this is a film that like, while it's definitely like kid friendly, it's got a little bit of an edge to it. That's just enough to kind of like inoculate them against like, you know, I don't know, stuff like Hellraiser and like Event uh, Horizon. Sure, sure, sure. You know what I mean? Like, cause like Monster Squad is just like, it's mostly goofy. And this film has a lot of stuff that's like relatable to kids, but it's also got a lot of stuff that's like, oh, this is like really, like, this is some scary stuff. Like, this is. Oh, yeah. This there's, lets there's nothing scary in the Monster Squad, really. Like, like no. it's, it's just a fun movie. But this movie has parts that like, you know, I've seen it enough times that maybe it doesn't get me scared, but I, I would not be surprised if not just kids, but if adults watching this movie might be like, oh, OK, I wasn't I didn't see that coming. You know, what I, I mean? mean, they also a, a thing that gets forgotten a lot of the time. And it's like I realize just watching this today is like. um, Stephen Dorff's character father has to kind of sit down with him and it's like, hey, I know, like, Terry's been very weird recently, but like, come on, like, give him a break. His mom just died. And it's like, that gets like, I guess very clumsily explored in the second film. But they, this is an introduction to mortality too in this movie. Yeah. Like yeah. this is, the one character is clearly suffering from the death of his mother and not handling it well at all. Um, I mean, the scene where he hugs his mom in this like semi dream sequence and then he wakes up and it's the dead dog. Fucking is, horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one one last thing I, I I say this every time I watch this movie I love the fact that when they whoever made this movie when they were like we need like satanic music so just got this like stupid music to play and someone to obviously go in and just sing in a bad falsetto and like every time I watch this I'm like y'all fucking alter uh, abominations of desolation by Morbid Angel came out one year before this like have the kid listen to that. That's all the, like every morbid angel song is basically about this. It's all about summoning the old ones, opening the gates, completing the ritual. Uh, well, I think also the movie has like some venom stuff too. And like, there's like background things in his room. There's from a cramp, actual metal bands. There's a cramp yeah, sticker on his drum set. <laughs> okay. Well, that's not that. Well, but yeah. then again, he is what? 12. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, yeah. I, mean? I, I do think there were kids who were just smushing it all together. And to be fair, Wasp did exist, right? They had some like satanic vibes and they were not exactly uh, uh, the most. Yeah, the killer metal. dwarf back back patch. Yeah. On his, yeah, on his, very on his, true. On, not that I not that I know anything about killer dwarfs. I'm not going to pretend, but I was like, I had to look them up because I was like, that's weird and then i was like oh i vaguely have heard of these people but i don't know what i about. thought they were for years when i was a kid i was like that's not a real band and only later were people like no that's a real thing what 
your bow tie spun in like in in like in like yeah. exactly my, <laughs> eyes, my eyes popped out. It was crazy. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back. We're gonna talk about the well-intentioned and heartfelt uh, uh, attempt at a sequel with the Gate Two. We'll be right back. The first time was just a warning. Gate 2. The problem wasn't that we opened the gate. The problem was that we didn't do it right. Demonology. Evil against evil. Interdimensional contact with beings whose power can be used for anything you want. Anything. Stay inside the circle. It's working. This time, it's not coming through your backyard. Get up! Ah! Oh my God! This time, it comes through you. Gate <laughs> two. And we are back to talk about The Gate 2 Trespassers, also known as The Gate 2 Return to the Nightmare, the 1990 sequel to The Gate, directed by the same guy. Uh, the only cast member to return was Lewis Tripp, who played Terry. I'm sorry, Terrence. Um, <laughs> uh, how, what, what's this, uh, man, this movie. Harlan, Harlan, take hey, you it seen away. This before? You've seen this before, the sequel? Uh, no, 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 no. This is brand new to me. Um, and I had not seen the sequel until uh, we decided to do it for this. So, no, it was new to me. I, um, I, I don't think it's horrible. But in comparison to the first film, it is. Um, so, like, but, but, you know, like, one of the things that, I can still really, really respect about the film is the effects are still pretty dope. Oh, um, yeah. And, and so, like, seeing good practical effects can help a lot of times in making a film much more digestible. Um, but, like, the story's not compelling. It does have a... The, the love interest is... Um, I immediately was like, that's Marcy from Californication. Yep. Um, and, uh, and then I realized she's also, like, the best friend... Uh, that not the redhead best friend, but the other best friend of John Cusack and say anything. She's um, also like one of Louis CK's best friends, which is like, well, yeah, I didn't know that. She, and I probably has, could have gone without. Well, she has her own, <laughs> she has her own show. That's actually pretty good, but she mm. got it because of Louis. So I think if, if you just search her name, mm. uh, like what you'll find is three or four different articles of her talking about Louis because of course, as soon as all that came out, people wanted to know what she thought. <laughs> um, calling back. That's real probably quick. all more interesting than this movie, though. Let's be honest. That, those uh, articles are probably more wanna, interesting. Uh, I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, have you guys ever seen any of the, the behind the scenes? We should have talked about this when we talked about the first one. Have you ever seen any of the behind the scenes footage of how they, re, how they did the effects for the for the. The first film? No. no. Yo, it's like straight up like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings level force perspective for a lot of those films. 
It's really interesting. If you get a chance, like look it up. Like those little demons that are like hopping around. Those are in camera effects that they use with forced perspective. Those are dudes in like suits running around um, in the same shot with Steven Dorf and what's her face. It's really cool how they how they Whoa. did that. That's actually crazy. I had no idea. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, the only thing I like I about the, this. The Vestron Blu-ray is, do they have any of that stuff on there? I should check. Uh, I'm on it. You're talking to the person who hates Blu-rays. I don't, I don't watch Blu-ray. Oh, sorry. I, for, I forgot that you you're like, forgiven. You're it's, forgiven. It's, it's okay. Everything. It's stupid. Don't so let's don't just move on. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. It's a sore spot. <laughs> it, it, it makes Liam weep. Um, this is like the second or third time I've seen this movie. I actually like this movie a lot more watching it this time around. It's definitely the inferior film, but I do like the fact that they stress time and time again that like these are not satanic beings. Like in the first one, they kind of touch upon that when they get the Bible and Terry's like, dude, these things are like way older than the Bible. It's just going to piss them off. And in this one, they talk about like the one thing he says is actually like really fucking cool. Like how they could stride across the galaxy the way we walk across the street and the earth was their playground for billions of years. Before. Like I was listening. I was like, fuck yeah, that's fucking cool. And then just like, um, like how there is no gate per se, how they're just like these demons are using the bodies of these people as the actual gateways. That is so awesome. There's just something about that, that like, I can't quite place my finger on where I first heard that concept of, of like demons using like people as like conduits. But I just think that's such a fucking neat idea. You have a lot of positive to say about this movie. I was, I'm really surprised. I mean, also, I don't like the fact that, like, um, much of the film that involves the two bullies is largely unwatchable because there's, yeah. there's like, they try to set the one bully up as, like, kind of a sympathetic character, and it just fails utterly. Um, the ending is fucking stupid. It's just dumb. Like oh, him, you, oh, you mean when they come out of the coffin? I felt, didn't you feel like that whole thing could have had yakety sacks over it? Uh, I mean, even that they didn't like Terry coming out of the coffin was fucking stupid. Like it, like it, t for that to happen. Okay. Not to be like too like, well, actually like, but like you don't die and they just put you in a casket. Like you die. And then <laughs> there's like an autopsy and shit. Like you're not coming back from that. It's just, uh, I just, I, I don't know. I just thought that was also kind of cheap. Because I think it would have been like a really ballsy like ending for this. Like, not that I want to see a guy lose his, his wife and his kid within a, a space of a few years, but like there's a darkness there that I would have had a lot of respect that the filmmakers would have just like leaned into that. And I think it's kind of saccharine that they just like were like, oh no, Terry is like he's actually alive in the casket. I assume But like that doesn't it also just take it to like too much of a level? Like it's all right, it's already saccharine and cheesy. But then we're going to resurrect the two bullies, too. And they're all no. going to climb out of the same fucking casket. It was so fucking weird. It then, no, then it, it, it strides shamelessly into the realm of the saccharine and the stupid with that at that point. Yeah. I don't know that I cared as much as you guys, but I think that's because by that point, I have mostly written off this movie. I, here's what I want to say about this movie. People who don't love the gate the way I feel like we do. Um, they tend to think of the gate as silly. 
And I don't think the gate is silly at all. I think it's actually surprisingly intense and dark and a little bit uh, cynical at times. We should we should do an episode on it. Yeah. The movie that is silly to me, like when people who don't like the gate describe the gate, I'm like, no, you're thinking of the gate too. Like this movie is like as much as it has, I guess, moments here and there that are whatever. It feels so much like the the stereotype I have of horror sequels where inevitably and not, not inevitably, but a chunk of horror sequels are like, let's just like make it more fun and like play up this part and this part and like, we'll just be silly with it and do whatever. And no one, I, at least I don't think no one who saw that original was like, oh, my God, I hope there's like wacky adventures and stuff. I, I don't know. I, I'll agree with you, Harlan, that the, that the practical effects are still good. Uh, to the extent that like there's one there there are a couple of moments where I wish the practical effects weren't so good, which is um I thought the shit was very effective. Uh for people who haven't seen this movie, uh they use the minion to wish for stuff, which is weird. Uh it's a weird plot twist. And then when they get the stuff, the stuff is cool, but then it turns to human feces. And so there are multiple moments that that that's played for humor. But there's also a few times where people like reach into something and then whip out the feces. And uh, that actually made me feel kind of gross. gross. It, it's like grosser, yeah. I think, than I was expecting in some of those situations. So, you know, that was one part where I was like, let's let's uh, let's go for something a little less effective on the feces angle. I, I need something <laughs> a little worse. It's just the rest of the movie is so silly. Why is the poop so accurate? I don't I don't know. But um, but a lot of the movie is very much like. Uh, even though there are themes of like his dad maybe being an alcoholic and dying and the suffering of his mom and, you know, tapping into a magic even deeper than Satanism, you know, this, this is even darker. They just make it goofy. The whole thing is fun. Even though, like, like you said, Justin, we spend so much time with these two bad guys, like these two bully kids who are terrible. They're badly written and badly acted. Um, And one of them it's not fun. He is the worst kind of sociopath. Like he's just gross. And yet we spend a lot of time with him when him and his weird buddy decide they're going to have an adventure with the, with the thing. I don't know. It's, it's just, it just felt like they started with an idea of like, this is how we're going to reboot the, or not reboot, but we're going to keep the story going. But I knew it was going off the rails when he's using the computers to enhance the ritual, not Classic because 90s move, not not because using the computers is a bad idea, but they just do it and he never says anything about it. And that's when I was like, oh, they didn't think about this. They just were like, I don't know. There's like computers now. It'll be great. Put a computer in there. And, and but they never talk about it. And I knew like, oh, this is not going to be great. Now, to be fair, the first time I saw this movie, it was at like midnight at a horathon, I think, or maybe two in the morning. And I got to say, like half delirious with a crowd of people. I didn't hate it. You know, it was fine. I had fun with it. But like, you got to have a taste for shitty horror sequels to enjoy this movie. If you're the kind of person who's watched a ton of like Puppet Master, Howling, like just just some of those sequels that really like that barely made it in the theaters and just ended up on cable right away. If you have a, have a taste for that sort of movie, then maybe you could roll with this thing. But for the most part, there's not a lot here to recommend this movie. Um, I, I, I think my biggest complaint overall is 
much of the love for the gate is that is it a silly horror movie? Sure, you can argue that. I don't, but you can. But one thing about it is that it's so undeniably such a tight narrative. It's so streamlined and it works so well. This movie is all over the place. And I, I mean, in location, in like motivation, in like, it's just like everywhere. And it just, it's so like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I, I guess like, I don't, it's, it's very ADHD. If I can, I don't mean to sound ableist, but it's very like scatterbrained. Whereas the first one is like, boom, boom, this happens, that happens, this happens. And it's like, holy shit, like they really, this is such a fucking like crisp, muscular type movie. And this movie is just fucking everywhere. And I, it just, it's just, it's sloppy, I guess is, is what I'm, is, is what I want to say. And normally I know I wouldn't give a shit, but in a sequel to a film who really had all of its ducks in a row the entire time. And there's not an ounce of fat in that movie. There's a lot of fat in this movie. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hit in, in nearly the same way. So I'm, I'm going to say something positive. Yeah, please oh, do. Okay. Thank you. So, so my, my first positive statement is I liked it, but that's as far as I can go with that. All right. So, but my other positive statement and, and part of the reason I did, I talked about the practical effects and I like the creature design a lot when we have the three hulking monsters at the end. Um, I just think they're fun. And the one that speaks, which is the one of the two bullies, one of them is this big grunting one and the other one speaks, reminds me a lot of uh, what Psycho Gorman looks like now. I almost felt like he could have inspired the look of Psycho Gorman, except he's one color and Psycho Gorman's, you know, got some color to him. But like the look and the voice, I was like, huh, I wonder, I wonder if the uh, Astron Six guys were into, uh, into the, these, these creature design. So I, I don't know. That was a nice <laughs> little nugget for me because I love Psycho Gorman and I like the Astron Six's stuff and, you know. Yeah, I mean, it it was definitely cool how like there were these um like I like the fact that there were concrete villains who were kind of knowable, I guess, as opposed to in the first movie it's just like there's this thing that is this monstrous demon, an old one, um that is just entirely unknowable. Uh and like you said, the effects for that looked really fucking good. For like a low budget '90s film, yeah, and the the budget is quite low. Uh, I, I think. Well, it says it's it's like five million Canadian, so whatever the heck that was at the time. So, uh, Who knows? Uh, approximately I, two yeah. two and a half million bottles of maple syrup. Yes, that that's about right. I'm glad one of us made the made the joke. I was like, "Who's gonna do it? Who's gonna Who's gonna make fun of Canada?" Somebody I went there. I went there. I said what everyone was thinking. I went there. All right. So I think that's it for the for the gate two. Uh, Harlan, thank you so much for having us on, dude. dude. For for being on here. <laughs> <laughs> Not only plug the fest again, but also all your projects. You do so many things. Yeah, to t- talk about your the stuff you do. So, uh, so obviously my, my number one thing I'm, I'm caring about right now because it's like a week or two away, uh, two weeks away is, is the festival. So please, please, please. If you're from the greater Philadelphia, Lehigh, 
you know, beyond area, make a point to come on out if you can. And I will plug, uh, there is for anyone that is listening to me talk about it on a podcast, there's a $5 off, uh, for tickets. Um, if you go to the skaterdivefestival.com and you click on the ticket link, uh, enter the code podcast real simple and you can get five bucks off your ticket. So do that please. But, um, I also, uh, I write for a website called Synapse. I write occasionally for some other outlets. I run a website called The Farsighted. Um, and then uh, on The Farsighted, I also do a couple podcasts. One is with uh, a gentleman who does many podcasts with Liam uh, named Doug Tilly. And uh, that podcast, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Canada, um, but that podcast is where we talk about wrestlers in movies because uh, we're both big wrestling marks and uh, and it, it's a real fun time. Uh, it's called Curtain Jerkers. Um, and uh, we also have a I also have another podcast called uh, Cage Match in which I argue with one, like the one person in the world who doesn't like Nick Cage about whether or not Nick Cage is good. Um, so I'm right. She she's wrong, but that's OK. Um, I feel that. Awesome. I feel that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, plug your skater die fest one more time. Yeah. So the, like I said, there, there's tons of cool stuff happening. So if you're into horror movies, if you're into skating, if you're into eating good food, uh, it, it we, we got it all. Uh, so it, it, like I said, it, 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 I've always wanted to do a film festival, but as much as I like the whole, you know, watch movies and then go out in the lobby and talk about them thing. I wanted to do something a little different. And so that was my, my goal was to do something different. And, uh, we've got like, our uh, you know, three different musical acts. We've got a DJ, we've got like tons and tons of different stuff. So I, I almost promise you that whatever you're into, we got it. Cool. I really like that. All right. And when is that? That's uh, October. 7th and 8th, and uh, like I said, tickets are available online. They'll be available for cash at the door as well. But uh, if you get your tickets early, we actually are going to be entering your your name into some extra drawings, including uh, like a $50 uh, gift card from um, from Five Below, who actually soft-sponsored us, which was pretty freaking cool. That's right. Um, we, yeah, we have uh, a bunch of other giveaways. I know that... Um, that LVAC is going to be uh, slinging some of their shirts, uh, their dry rot shirts and stuff, and they're going to probably oh. give a couple of those away. Uh, we have a lot of crazy stuff going on. So, cool, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, it's been a long time, in, you know, in the making. Good. Yeah, I can't know. believe I was allowed on. I, I, I thought that I'd been banned by <laughs> Liam from any of his podcasts. You, but, I mean, you, you, know, you hey. straight, you straight up were, but then you did something so awesome. And it's been a while since you, uh, like said something about a movie to me on Twitter that made me regret knowing you. So I was like, I was like, I'll get there again. Don't worry. Oh yeah. Eventually. But I was like, man, uh, Harlan did this amazing thing. I want to support him as much as I can. And, uh, you know, having you on is great because, uh, I actually think you're a great podcast guest. I just want to be mean to you sometimes. So that's I've fair. Also, that's fair. I've also I mean, soft- I'll try. I've also softened my stance on ska. I'm, I'm, I've real. I've realized I'm only opposed to third wave ska. Oh, which is like primarily the ska I listened to when I was young. But to be fair, I don't really listen to a lot of ska anymore. I like it when it's like nice warm weather days occasionally with the windows open, but that's about it. Cool. 
All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, you can head to www.cinepunks.com and hear more episodes of this podcast and a few other ones, including Twitch of the Death Nerve, Cinepunks, um, uh, uh, Fat Girl Hacks, uh, to, uh, <laughs> Cinema Smorgasbord. Yeah, close enough. You're good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks to become patrons. Be sure to check out Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and Essex Coffee Roasters and Mechanical Shark Media. Mechanical Shark Media. Um, you better come fucking check out this uh, Skater Die Fest. You better do it. If you're not, you're fucking dead to me. And always remember, <sighs> New Order's best song is when they cover Orgy. <laughs> you're such a jerk. We're out. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode, we'll share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!